Hello again, and happy Friday to you. This is another bonus episode of the Friend of God podcast. The messages here are still from Friendship Baptist Church, located in Sturgis, Mississippi, but they are from evening and special services throughout the year. You will hear mostly from Pastor Jeremy, but you will also be hearing from other staff members and guests from time to time. We hope that you enjoy and learn once again from the teaching of our guest speaker, Dr. Tim Bray, on today's episode, and that this message ultimately makes you and me more like Christ. Without any further delay, let's go ahead and jump right in to Friendship's third revival message from 2020. Testimony of your grace, God, just to see men and women, boys and girls of all ages, sing in praise to you and just the beauty, just the beauty, God, of a life that has been redeemed. That we can all come from all different backgrounds and different testimonies and lives and that we can come under the banner of Christ and know, God, that you are not only the God of second chances, but 70 times 7 and even infinite. And for that, God, we are grateful for the incredible, perfect atonement that your, that your blood poured out on Calvary's cross for us. God, even in looking and reading and so much of our world trying to do away with the blood and do away with the truth of the gospel. Father, may we stand firm on your word. May we stand firm on the gospel. And may we, on that foundation of Christ, love one another just like our beloved Savior. God, help us to be full of grace and truth. God, we love you and we praise you and we give our lives to you, Father. Even over the next few minutes, as we continue to worship in spirit and truth, may you be glorified and may your church be edified in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, I am excited. If you can't tell, I'm excited to be with you. I'm a little bummed that I get to he- have to head out in the morning and head all the way back to East Tennessee. And uh, I tell you, I have been uh, communicating with our church of what God's doing here in Mississippi and what's happening and how we get to be a part of it. So there are a lot of brothers and sisters that you haven't met who are praying for you and praying for us. And for that, I am so grateful. If you were able to gather with us Sunday night, you will remember that we looked at who does God use for revival. We looked at a lady who was not invited, didn't fit into the church setting, the religious setting, but Jesus had got a hold of her life and all the stereotypes, all the pointing, all the names, all the judgment go right out the window. And what we got a front row seat to see is that Jesus always has to be central in God's house. Amen? It's not about who's sitting around the table, who's up front, who's in the back, who's doing what. It's about Christ. And when Christ has his true proper place in the church as the head of the church, then that church will be on fire with the passion and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we will look to the Word of God to not only understand how we ought to live, but how we ought to see other people. Monday night, we looked at last night, we talked about what is holding us back from a genuine revival. Not a group of meetings, not shouting, not hallelujah, not walking an aisle, all those things. But what is keeping us from experiencing the joy that is in Jesus Christ? And we talked about two things. What are they, church? Yep, circumstances. What else? People. Yuns, right? All them folk in your life. Not y'all, right? It's those other people. You know what I'm saying? It's always funny. I hear people say, well, that difficult person in your family, that difficult person to deal with at work, and if you don't, can't think of who that is, it 
maybe you. Amen? I'm that guy to somebody. I guarantee it. You know what I'm saying? But we can do like Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit and that even though we have difficult circumstances in our life and we have difficult people or people who hurt us or damage us or don't do what we want them to do, when we in turn do that, whether on purpose or not, then our joy is actually found in Jesus. The very song we just sang, or I say we just sang, my brother Garrett up here just threw down on it, and I was singing along with you very low, you know what I'm saying? And I was just like, yes, what he's saying, God, that's how I feel. All my hope is in you, that's it. But I have a family that's my responsibility to take care of. So tonight, tonight, man, I had to throw my cowboy boots on for tonight. I said, no, this is family time. We got to get down and serious tonight, talking about being practical and being very personal tonight, very personal, on what it means to be the church. Now, like, unlike many of you, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know how you're supposed to act, right? I didn't understand a lot of even the stories. I had to learn those things. Um, my late 18, 19, 20-year-old self had to learn those things from volunteering at Vacation Bible School. And I would get the book, and I would look at it, and I was like, man, this is incredible. Then I'd go find a Bible, and I'd look it up, and I'm like, man, they left out all kind of stuff. I mean, you know how many guys we could get in here if we told the whole story of David and Goliath? I know it's for kids. I'm just saying. I was 19. I was excited, right? I'm like, can we show a video? No, we don't want to do that, right? But I said, I want to be the church. I don't want to just go to church. I don't know where that came up from. Who decided all of a sudden that the building is the church? Not from Scripture. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians, we are the church. He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the church. The church gathers together in a building. And God is the one who planted this building here. And he used you to do it. And those who, on the backs of so many faithful men and women, just like with us, just like with our friends in India and Africa and Asia and all over the world, literally, our family is quite large. So what do we do in regards to being the church? And this is what I want us to talk about tonight, beloved. How do we best do that? So I want to share with you more of a practical message tonight. How do we go about restoration? How do we go about being the church beyond a revival? How do we do that? Take your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if you're not there already. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. We're going to focus on this primary verse, but we may go into some of the others throughout the afternoon, evening together. But I want us to read this together and read it from your copy of God's Word. Paul is ending up this incredibly passionate epistle with some practical and but yet very spiritual instructions on how you and I are to take care of each other. Because Jesus made it really clear to his disciples, they will know you are my disciples by the what? Love that you have for one another. Ain't nobody trying to get in the church and be part of a family if they're bickering, fighting, or hurting each other, right? Every single human being needs certain key elements that we were made in the image of God such that we would be able to experience giving and receiving of love and friendship and support. And it's perfectly found in the body of Christ. So let's look at it together. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers or brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, 
you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Well, there's a mouthful in that verse, isn't it? Paul's closing out. It's like, brothers and sisters, listen. And he lays out this incredible mandate. To be the church is to fulfill this mandate of restoration. So what is that? And today, what we are going to talk about and what the Holy Spirit of God is going to impress upon your heart and my heart is one of two things. If you are sitting here tonight, you are either in need of restoration or you are to be restoring someone else. Let's say that again. If you are here tonight, you are either in need of some sort of restoration or God wants to use you and I to help restore our brothers and sisters for the glory of God and for the good of his church. So let's begin to unpack this a little bit because I'm actually, even though I'm a little bit of a nerd, I'm sort of this practical guy. When someone tells me that I'm supposed to do something, First of all, I kind of want to know what I'm supposed to be doing. So when someone says you have a command or you have a mandate, what do we mean by that? You'll notice by looking in this verse, we're told a few things. There's a few verbs in here, and if you study in the Bible, this is very important. You always look for those. What is being said that is happening to me? What is being said that I'm supposed to do? Or what is being said that I'm supposed to believe or something that I'm supposed to participate in? And when you look in the text in Galatians 6.1, it's talking about the fact that you and I can be caught or overtaken, depending on what version you have. It also says later in that verse that we can be tempted. Now, both of those verbs are one of those nerdy things called subjunctive, which basically just means it's something that might or could happen to you. If you've been saved for 11 seconds, you know for a fact that this can happen to you, right? You also know not only the, of the temptation, but that that temptation can overtake us at times in our life. And also, there's two more. One of them is primary. The one toward the end says, looking unto yourself or watching yourself. Isn't it so much easier to watch someone else? Isn't it so much easier to look to someone else and point out their issues or their faults or their problems or what's missing or what's going very well with them and not us? It's so much easier. And these particular ones that we're being told to watch out for, things that are happening to us or even things like watching, it's a continual action. It's present. It always blew my mind when people would talk about their salvation like it's a booster shot. Yeah, yeah, I did that back when I was this age or that age. Like it's this one-time thing, and then all of a sudden we just go sit and wait for Jesus to get back, right? There is a moment in time when you were born again and saved of God that he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's a moment in which we have been born again, absolutely. But it has continuing effects. We are part of the kingdom of God. And so this ongoing looking to myself to make sure that I am walking right with God. But also the primary verb here is the word to restore. How many of you know someone, or maybe perhaps you here, know someone who has restored an old vehicle or restored an old rifle or restored something? Or if you're like your pastor, you're this fantastic woodworker, right? You can take a big pile of wood and just turning it into something beautiful. If you haven't seen it, 
come give him a hard time. I mean, bless him, encourage him with his woodworking, right? So some people just know how to do that. My wife is one of those people. One of the best things that happened to me a few years ago is this old country boy finally got a truck. One of the worst things that ever happened to me was this country boy got a truck. Because what that means is my wife knows where the keys are, and whenever somebody's got something laying on the side of the road, somebody else's junk is somebody else's treasure. Boy, she loves that. She thinks that's in the Bible somewhere, right? Some folks just know how to restore, but what is Paul talking about here? He's saying, listen, this is what you and I are called to do, is that we are called to this mandate or this imperative, if you will, to restore one another. Now, before we launch into the three questions, and I'm always asking questions, how many of you either have or have now or have had children that are two and three years old? What's their favorite question? Why, right? I'm that guy. I'm just 44. I still do it. I, I love questions. I, that's the way I study the Word and talk to God. I ask a lot of questions. I'm that goofy kid, right? I'm still that way. I've been saved for 25 years, and I still haven't gotten over it. I still have so many questions, and I just want to worship God with my mind, right? It's incredible. That's another sermon, though. So what is a mandate? What is it not? I'll tell you what a mandate is. I come from a very strong military background, right? And so I remember growing up, before I got saved, you know, I, I, I was in high school and I was playing football. And I remember, so this will give you a little idea, maybe you can relate to this. I remember there would be moments where Saturday morning would take place. And so if, if my dad needed me to do something, there was a way that, that he shared the mandate. And so what would happen is I would be laid up in my bed, right, about 11, 30, 12 o'clock now, you know, in the afternoon. And my dad would just sort of, Barely push the door open, Ron, and just sort of peek in and tiptoe across my room and lean over my bed and admire his little boy laying in the bed at junior in high school. And he would whisper to me. It was real sweet. He'd say, son, I need your help. It's the trash, son. It's, uh, it's overtaking us. And son, the yard, I hate to bring this up. I know you played hard last night, even though you only played for a third of a quarter and got beat up real bad. But, and I know it's hard being your age, but if I could just bother you, it's not just the trash, son, it's the yard. We can't find my truck, son. It's, it's, it's you, you, you know, what are we going to do? We just need your help. Could you find it in your heart? Could you just think about it for a while and get back to me? Maybe perhaps you could emerge from your beauty sleep and help out the family. How many of y'all have had that experience? Raise your hand. Ah, me either. <laughs> no, it wasn't 1130. Are you kidding me right now? It's 6 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning. This dude ain't whispering nothing. Kicks the door open. He's like speaking loud. He may be speaking in tongues. I don't know what he's saying, but it's grunting. It's growling. And I don't need an interpreter. I don't need anybody's... Uh, I don't need to research anything. I just know that I'm jumped up, dodging him, and there I go. Trashing both hands, going to the lawnmower. You know what I'm saying? Because guess what? The mandate at our house, very simple. Timmy takes care of the trash in the yard. Or, as Dad liked to kind of confirm it all together, just do what I say. Amen? So, so we all get it. I mean, we can laugh, and, but we all understand. Okay, so a command is a command. A mandate's a mandate. In other words, you ain't got to pray about it. Don't pray about it. It's just what you do. It's just who you are. So let's look at it together. In this one verse alone, God answers a few questions about this mandate, this call that he wants the whole church 
involved in. And he actually answers the questions that you and I ought to be asking. So if you're taking notes, you can write these in. You can write this first question in. This is the ultimate and first question. And that is, what do I do? What do I do? What is God telling us as the church to be the church? What does he want us to do for one another? The scripture is very clear. He says, I want you to restore those who need restoring. Look back at the text. Brothers, sisters, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, what does he say? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. We are called, the primary purpose of that verse is telling us that we are to restore the one who is in trouble. And this entire verb is literally, it's ongoing. It's in the present time. It's not something we check off of a list, tick off a bucket list. It is part of our ongoing life. So what does it mean and who do we serve in this way? Well, let's look at the second question first. We are to restore those of us in the church, in the body of Christ, who have been overtaken, who have gotten caught up, tripped up in a trespass or a transgression. And see, this verse, sometimes, if, if you're not careful, it could easily be looked at in, in, in more or less in the way it's meant. The King James Version uses overtaken in a fault. And you know, in our 21st century Western mind, when you think about faults, the New International goes so far as to say caught in a sin, which is interesting because the word harmadios is not the one in the Greek. It's just another way of saying it. The actual verb is more along the line of what the New American Standard ESV says, caught in any transgression or trespass, right? So it could be a sin, but that's not even what Paul listed as. He, I mean, we all know what the sin is, right? Some of us have a master's degree in it, right? We understand it. He's talking about something that's even broader, something that may or may not necessarily be sin, or it could be, but it is certainly something of where you and I have overstepped a boundary, we've gotten trapped, the consequences of some unwise actions have got us caught up. So whether it's something very bold and very open like sin, or whether it's something that we have just somehow or another allowed ourselves to get into a mess, as they say in East Tennessee. So the most pressing question. What do I do? Well, I'm to restore that brother or sister. So what does that mean? After all, we know what it means to us in our day and culture and time, but the most base definition of what we're being called to do, church, is to mend, to set straight, to put it in order, or to restore to the former. That sounds very similar to what we're used to. Sometimes a derivative of this word is actually used in the Gospels when they were mending their nets. Any fishermen in here? You tear a hole in your net, guess what? You got to patch it up because guess what? Everybody's going to be hungry tonight, right? You got to fix it. There's a hole torn in. There's something going on. The, the incredible issue with this verse that's always perplexed me is that it's actually used as a medical term. So what in the world is Apostle Paul, who's a philosopher and a theologian, and he makes tents on the side, which is pretty cool, right? So he's probably a hunter, I'm just saying, right? So what is he doing telling us to do something in the church as it relates to a medical type word? It literally means, to, it's a, to use in the secular Greek, for setting a fractured bone. How many of you have ever broke something in here? Raise your hand. 
Some of y'all lying in here. You know you have, huh? All right. How many of you know somebody who breaks stuff all the time? How many of y'all gave birth to folks or married to somebody who's always breaking something, right? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had to get a brace or a cast? Raise your hand, right? So let me ask you a question, and you can all say this out loud. This is church. You can talk in church, amen? How long did it take it to heal? Just yell it out. How long? How many weeks? 10, 6, 8, what? Long time. Some of y'all are like, it still ain't fixed. I'm still paying on it, amen, right? So you know what he's calling us to do? What he's calling us to be? He's calling us, in a sense, to be a cast. This is the best we got tonight. When you strap this thing on, please tell me, is there something magical or special about this? Kind of smells funny, right? But it's designed, it's been created for a particular purpose. What's the purpose? The purpose is to surround the area that is broken. To surround the area that is damaged. To wrap itself in a certain way such that that which has caused, been causing damage is now being held into place. Because the healing happens on the inside. See, the healing happens on the inside, but that which is on the outside, it has to be protected. It has to be surrounded in such a way that it makes it easier for the healing to take place on the inside. You catching it? So what Christ is calling us to do through his servant is to literally surround and to encourage and to stand in the gap for that brother or sister who is hurting. Why? Because what is wrong in the life of a Christian is to be set straight. It is not to be neglected and it's not to be just exposed openly and thrown out there for everyone to trample on it. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about this discipline, about this love, about this surrounding. In Hebrews 12, verse 11 and following, he says, listen to this. This is a word we don't like either. All discipline for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. And yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which has become lame may be put, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You see, it's, it, we've gone far too long, church, as Christians shooting our own wounded. What is wrong and what is hurt and what is caught up in life is to be restored. So in this room right now, there is nobody in here who is not being touched by this word. There is no one in here that is either not in need of some sort of restoration or you are to be used to restore someone else. So what should we do? We're to restore. Here's my other question. And this is a question that almost always comes because I am a master delegator. Amen? Second question, who should do it? Isn't that right? Don't we have a committee for that sort of thing around here? Y'all have one of those? Isn't that the deacon's job or the preacher boy, that his job? Who should do this work? Notice what the text says. Brothers, if any of you are caught in any trespass, 
You who are what, church? Spiritual. You who are spiritual, restore the one. See, Paul's being very explicit here. Hey, hey, hey. Guys, listen. You know this, family. When someone is caught up, overtaken in a fall, in a transgression, in a trespass, those of you who are spiritual. And when you go back and you look, we literally just sang a song about it. I heard so many voices in here saying to God in front of each other that His glory is our heart's desire. Didn't you say that? Didn't I say that? That's what my heart heart longs for, is for His glory. And we're asking the Holy Spirit. We're saying, hey, come in here. Come take control. I want you to lead me. It's not only a command, but it's plural. He says, those of you. It's this incredibly long word that means the spiritual ones. Who is Paul talking to? He's talking to the whole church. There are very specific words. Presbyteros, if you want to be nerdy about it, that means... Uh, pastor, elder, bishop. He doesn't use that word. He uses it a lot of other places. He ain't talking to the preacher boys. The Akonos. He ain't talking to deacons. Guess who he's talking to? Brethren. Guess who that is? That's all of us, right? That's who he's talking to. Even in 1 Peter 3.15, Pete says the same thing. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to make a defense to everyone who ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And notice this, yet with gentleness and respect. Notice the sequence. We are being spiritual. We are in Christ. We are pursuing God. We are letting the Holy Spirit have His way in our lives. We are confessing sin. We are walking. We are far from perfect. And the spiritual ones are the ones openly saying that. They're not faking it till they make it. They're not walking around trying to pretend they're something they're not. They're humble and excited that Jesus is working in their life. And there's two parts to this whole word. It's related to Paul's use of it at the end of chapter 5. Pastor Jeremy actually mentioned it this last week. In Galatians 5, 16 through 17, listen. He says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For our flesh sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. Notice this. We know this, right? For these are in opposition to one another. You're either going to pursue one or the other. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. So that you may not do the things that you want to do. Paul calls himself a wretched man because he says, the things I want to do, I can't seem to always find myself doing, and the things I don't want to do, they keep coming around. Anybody else in here other than me like that, right? But listen, pastor said this Sunday, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is this. And listen to all the things that fall in. Love, joy. Didn't we talk about that last night? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And he says, now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Watch this. If we live by the Spirit, so if you're in Christ, you are living by the Spirit. Notice he gives us another command. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Question, why do you have to tell Christians how to act? 
Paul's talking to folks who already know Jesus. They've already received Christ. And he's having to tell them, encourage them, remind them to also walk by the Spirit. And in case they needed examples, he gives them in the last part of verse 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And then secondly, it's very easy. It's simply this, that Paul is reminding all of us. The Holy Spirit is just shining this beacon light right on this. That only those who are genuinely humble and led by the Holy Spirit have the maturity to deal with the sin or the, the struggles or being caught in a problem or dealing with a disease or a sickness or pain or depression or all those things that we're constantly dealing with. And every Christian should desire this maturity. The writer of Hebrews, even in chapter 5, he's talking to folks just like us, many of us. He's like, by now you should be teachers, you should be leading. But you still are stuck on milk, you're still on the bottle. What's he talking about? So who should participate, church? Is it the pastor, the staff, the Sunday school teachers, deacons, a professional counselor, teacher? No. Yes, because they are members of the body of Christ. But Jesus has empowered his church to fulfill his mission as one big family church. Either tonight you are in need of restoring or God is going to use you to help restore someone else. And here's our last question. Last question of the night. We know what to do, restore the one who's caught and hurt, struggling. Who should do it? Those who are spiritual. Those of us not perfect, but pursuing Christ. Mature, walking with him. The third question is, how should it be done? Scripture is very clear. Look at it together, beloved. Brothers and sisters, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Have any of you ever been fixed by somebody? Has any well-meaning family member or church folk or pastor, whoever, they ever tried to come and fix you and they didn't come with gentleness so you get shot in New Orleans for that sort of thing but you know that's another thing but I mean we all know what it's like we've all got a story we could pass around a mic tonight all right it's your turn who hurt you who did it the wrong way did they mean well maybe maybe they didn't maybe it's like Paul's group last night they did it for bad motives I don't know here's what I do know been hurt quite a bit and I've unfortunately done it myself man you know the whole gentleness thing? Men struggle with that, right? And I would throw a teddy bear at y'all and have some prayer. But the bottom line is, that whole idea of gentleness, that's the exact same thing that Paul is talking about. And you don't get more manly than that dude other than Jesus, of course. And he's talking about this gentleness. Let me tell you why it's such a big deal. It's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. It's how you sh we show love in more than just our words but also in our deeds. I remember early in our marriage, 
we were visiting the in-laws down in Tallahassee, Florida with all those people down there, you know. And I had been saved for a couple of years, and I was in ministry, and I was excited, and I got a baby on the way, and my wife won't play with me. I want to throw the football, and ain't nobody around, and I'm just finally, after badgering like a three-year-old, she finally decided to go outside and play with Timmy in the backyard because Jeremy wasn't there. So the only football we had, guys, was a little Nerf ball. You know what I'm saying? You deal with what you got. So I'm trying to teach Emily to throw the ball, and she's crow hopping. If you don't know what that is, watch baseball outfield. She crow hops even though she's throwing it two feet. Unbelievable. And all of a sudden, this beautiful bride of mine rears back and flings the football. Perfect spiral. And at that moment, all my dreams had come true. You know what I'm saying? And the only thing in my mind was, what, guys? Catch the ball. So I take off, and I'm flying through that backyard. I mean, it was a few years and pounds ago, and I was flying like an antelope through there, running, remembering the glory days back in high school as a wide receiver, and there I was. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know, it was coming down, and it was getting close, and I was so excited, and I was running, and something happened. It was the neatest thing, those of you medical folks in here, that you'll, you'll understand this. I remember for a brief second, something happened where one of my legs got shorter than the other one. And there was this really unique sound. It sounded something, Shannon, I guess it was something like, Psh! you know when you have those moments where you have just enough time to regret it, right? Like, oh, and then let me tell you, I went flying. And I hit the ground like a sack of taters, right, bouncing everywhere. But I caught the football. Amen? I did. And I rolled over and I squealed like a pig. And next thing I know, man, the Paul-in-law's got me at the ER. Isn't that great? I'm sitting out there on a gurney like Forrest Gump just watching people walk by. In absolute agony and pain. Because everybody else apparently is more important, which it was true. And I'm sitting out there, and all of a sudden I see this little boy. And I can see, I don't know if I'm supposed to see it, but I could see into a room. And he was about this tall, and I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm quite sure an arm shouldn't look like that. You know what I'm saying? And this guy was losing his mind, and for good reason. And I'm telling you, everybody that came in that room were trained, educated, gifted, and they knew exactly what they were talking about, and they knew how to get this kid some help. And then all of a sudden, he ain't having it. I mean... People are coming in and out of there, and, they're, and I'm just watching them. And I'm thinking, okay, all right. So this lady, and we all know the nurses know what they're talking about, so he's done kicked out three nurses. Now we got this other little guy coming in. He's about this tall, and uh, he's this little Asian doctor, and I'm watching this going, oh, I give this guy 20 seconds, and he's going to go flying out the window, right? So I'm watching this whole thing unfold. And one of the neatest things I've ever seen is this doctor walks in, and he just goes and he sits beside this little boy. I mean, a good two feet away. And he just sits there. And little by little, this kind of reminded me of y'all's Sunday school class I got to be a part of Sunday. And little by little, I couldn't tell what he was saying, which was very cumbersome. I'm like trying to lean over and listen, but he's talking so softly. And he kind of slowly slides over, and the little boy starts talking to him. 
And then the doctor just kind of reaches over and just puts his hand on his shoulder, not his hurt arm, but just listens to him. And I'm watching this whole thing unfold. And the weirdest but most beautiful thing is the little boy. And this is how bad it was. He takes his good arm, he grabs his really bent arm, and he takes it and he lays it in the lap of the doctor. And it was at that moment that he was able to begin his restoration. See, that doc could have easily come in. They could have restrained him, and sometimes you have to. But he chose to go at it gently. How much more for those of us who have a broken heart or a broken spirit? He says do it in the right spirit, in the right mindset. You know why? Because... He says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. It's a whole attitude. We take responsibility for each other because we love each other. Because none of us are perfect and got it all together. Because guess what? In the very next part, he says, hey, keep looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. I'll show you what I mean. Garrett, if you want to come on up, brother. Jeremy, if you'll come here. Bailey, come see for a minute. Ron, uh, Jeremy, and Shannon. Let's make this a family thing. Come on up here. I'll try to illustrate this. I should have picked shorter people. I'm just realizing that. If y'all could just make a little circle and hold hands right here. Y'all love each other, don't you? That's right. Get in here. Even Jeremy. That's right. Because right now, man, I'm glad I brushed my teeth. Right now, I'm in need of restoration. And this is my family. And they don't have probably all the answers. I mean, the ladies usually do, most of them. But they don't have all the answers. But they've been right where I'm at. And somebody loved them enough to stand strong. If Satan's going to get to me, he's going to have to go through them. If, I'm, if it's going to take me and my life six weeks, eight weeks, two years to heal... That's not their problem. They don't know. They just know him, and they know what he's capable of. And all they're willing to do is stand in the gap. Because at some point, Jeremy's going to need a little encouragement. He's going to need a little help. Right? I mean, doesn't that just picture the beautiful body of Christ? Bow your heads with me, beloved. Thank you all. Tonight, as we go into a time of prayer, we could all just stand up and sing the song and wait for somebody to walk down an aisle. And there's going to be pastors down here that want to talk and pray. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and an attitude and a spirit of prayer, if you need to bust out, please do it. But for the rest of us who need restoring and, and want to be a part of restoration, just hang tight. Because this is family time. And so tonight, I've literally never done this before, but it's just been on my heart all afternoon. I can't get away from it. If you're in here and you've got a, a burden that is just wearing you out, you've got a pain that's just eating your lunch, You've got somebody that you are so interceding for 
whether it's yourself or someone else, but you can't seem to find a breakthrough. When there's something that has happened or is caught up or something you need freedom from, do you trust your brothers and sisters enough to just stand? They don't have to know everything. To maybe perhaps by just pure strength and pure grace that comes from Jesus, that maybe tonight, even if you're like people other than me who don't like the touchy-feely stuff, but you know you need prayer, and you're just willing to trust God enough to stand up and say, that's me. I'm the one standing in need of prayer. I'm the one standing in need of restoration. It may not even be a big thing. It could be something small. But even Paul said, a small thorn in his flesh wore him out. And he cried and begged God to take it away. And Jesus reminded him that his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. So for a revived church is one who loves and restores. So beloved, as Garrett begins to sing over us, you don't need clergy, you don't need a pope. You don't need some outward miracle manifestation. You need faith. You need a loving family. And I believe you know it's surrounding you right now. So could we do that? Even with our heads bowed, eyes closed, maybe, look, maybe just for the next few seconds as we begin to sing, maybe stay seated where we are. But if that's you tonight, and you need prayer, you need restoration, maybe tonight if you would stand, Maybe sitting around you, standing around you, maybe even from across the room, somebody would come to where you are and just put their hand on you. Just put their arm around your shoulder and just stand there and pray for you. We've got one standing already. This is the time tonight to practice being the church. Who else tonight? All right, we got one brother that's going to be the church. He's going to go pray. happening come on church pastor Jeremy's going to be down here as well if you need to talk need to pray need to give your life to Jesus you're not sure if you'd go to heaven tonight if you were to die what we've been talking about all week this is the moment can you imagine what it would be like tonight to finally be free maybe you want to come pray in this altar but if that's you Pastor, we got a lot of people in here that's ready to restore. Because we're either in need of restoration tonight or we'd be helping restore someone else. We got two to three people in here being the church. Father, I pray tonight that you would shake us out of our religious shell. That you would give us as adults strength and grace to model what we preach that we would not only speak words of love, but we would stand firm, praying, blessing, preparation, protection over our brothers and sisters. We know that the most attractive thing in the world is true agape love, and it's found in your body. So God, as we begin to sing, I pray that your saints would be honest with you and that we would get some healing tonight. 
and that you would take us and use us like your early disciples, Lord, to turn this world upside down. Be with us now as we respond in grace. In Jesus' name. Let's respond to him, church. Thank you for listening to this Friday bonus episode of the Friend of God podcast. We know that your time is the most valuable commodity that you possess, and we are enormously grateful that you chose to share it with us. If you would like to know more about Friendship Baptist Church, please visit our website, friendshipsturges.com, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fbcms. Both links can be found in the show notes below. If you would leave a rating or review of our new podcast, we would be very appreciative. And if you would go as far as to share it with others, we would be eternally grateful. We pray that you have a God-filled weekend, and remember, love God, love people, and reach the world.